For 25 years, Mike's has been making lemonade the hard way. Mike's Hard Lemonade. Hard days deserve a hard lemonade. Mike's is hard. So is prison. Don't drive drunk. Premium all beverage with flavors. All registered trademarks used under license by Mike's Hard Lemonade Company, Chicago, Illinois. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Welcome to a good football show. I am Matt Straup, and today it is our NFL Draft episode, and we're going to be focusing in on the draft needs for the teams in the NFC East. What are their biggest remaining areas of need after free agency? Plus, we'll be breaking down the top five interior defensive linemen in this draft class. I'm joined by Thor Nystrom and Eric Froton. And guys, I don't know about you, but this almost feels too good to be true, this convergence. Today, we get to talk about the only division in football without a winning record and (laughs) interior defensive linemen on the same episode. Incredible programming. It feels like the football fates are smiling upon us. Figured we'd roll out the red carpet for Froton in his first episode. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Eric, we... We, we really, we saved literally all of our premier programming for your arrival. So welcome. <laughs> well, that's what you get when you uh, win the 2020 College Sports Writer of the Year Award, uh, Matt, is you get the red carpet rolled out. And nothing says red carpet getting rolled out like interior defensive linemen. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, we're going to start with the NFC East first. And we start with the team that by default was at the top, the team that won the division with a 7-9 record, and has actually had a very intriguing offseason. The Washington football team brought in Ryan Fitzpatrick, which suddenly makes Terry McLaurin and their offseason edition of Curtis Samuel that much more appealing for fantasy purposes. They also have another notable receiving weapon at tight end in Logan Thomas. So Thor, as you assess this team's needs, I mean, what do you think the Washington football team should look to do with the 19th pick in the draft and beyond? Is it defense for you? Is it offense? You make the call here. For me, it'd be more fortifying the offense. You, you mentioned some of the the changes that they've had. Obviously, we don't have a long term quarterback yet. Uh, they they did find their long term running back, which is good. But McLaurin could use some help. Scary Terry could use some help there. A wide receiver could also use a tight end. Uh, they could use help on the line as well. I know there's some defensive holes there, but I I think I would be prioritizing the offense first. There's been some rumors that they might be looking to uh, move up into the fourth slot. That you know it's been bandied about with Atlanta. I I doubt they would have the ammo to move up that far on the board. So you might be looking at, you know, trying to add another playmaker on the outside at 19 or depending on who falls, you know, potentially an offensive lineman. Um, I I think those would be the initial spots I would look at. I agree with Thor's assessment. First off, you're at the 19 spot. So good luck uh, finding a quarterback at that spot that's going to slide because you got pretty much the top five guys and then there's a noticeable drop off. So you're not going to want to expend the draft capital uh, going after a quarterback at the 19th pick if you're not trading up. And like Thor said, I Good luck 
trading up to the four spot from 19. You know, it's going to take a few drafts, not just two. So um, I don't think that that's really a realistic option. When you're talking about the wide receivers, you know, that puts them in another interesting spot because they're kind of in an in-between here where you're going to have the top guys. You're going to have Pitts, who is a pass catcher, Smith, Jamar Chase, and Jalen Waddell. Those four guys are probably not going to be there at 19. So that then you're at the, you know, the next tier down. Rashad Bateman, who I know Thor loves being a Minnesota guy, uh, Terrace Marshall, and then you're getting down into kind of the slot receivers, which you're probably better off just waiting and taking a, a Darasaw or a Slater if you were to fall that far at offensive line and, you know, kind of take one of the remaining slot receivers with that second pick that they have. I'm not sure how Thor would feel about it. All right, but yeah, I mean, if certainly if one of those offensive linemen fell, fortunately for Washington, per, perhaps not fortunately with the quarterback class, uh, you know, at least with as far as the first round pick goes. But wide receiver and tackle are both classes that I believe are are stacked tier one, tier two, tier three, kind of a thing. And so you will have options both at their slot in the in the first round, but also going into day two. I, I've already forgotten, but I think in our mock draft, Thor didn't. Bateman go to the Washington football team? Didn't Hayden take Bateman? Do I have that right and snipe you? Yes, he did. I I just had to double check, but yes, indeed he did. I was very upset. Want to make mom's day? Get to your Nordstrom Rack now and score amazing deals for Mother's Day, which is Sunday, May 12th. Find tons of gifts from only $30 at Nordstrom Rack. Fragrance, jewelry, luxury bags, activewear, beauty, and more. Save on Kate Spade, New York, Stuart Weitzman, and Ted Baker, London. Great brands, great prices. So shop your Nordstrom Rack store today and treat mom to the good stuff from just $30. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Uh, meanwhile, the Giants finished 6-10 in 2020. The big addition for them was Kenny Galladay, which, like the fit or not, it's happening and we have to deal with it. They pick 11th Thor. Which side of the ball, you're the GM here, do you think they should be looking to shore up first? You get to be Dave Gettleman? You do. You nice. do. Yeah. Nice. Yes. I've always wanted yes. to be Dave Gettleman. Special um, treat here today. <laughs> should be my Halloween costume next year. Uh, <laughs> I, I think you know they, they got their offensive lineman uh, last season. Um, this year, as is Mr. Gettleman's want, uh, we perhaps might be staying in the trenches. Edge is a big need. Uh, cornerback is also a big need. You know, We talked about that a little bit last year. Um, and, you know, and they use their first pick on the offensive lineman. Um, it, it would be nice as well, potentially, to get a guy that could start immediately at corner. Um, and then I think outside of that, you still have some stuff to do on the offensive line. You know, we know how much Gettleman loves that position and it's not completely fixed yet. Um, and so that would be the other spot that I would be looking at with the Giants. Yeah, we've heard a lot of rumblings about the edge position with the Giants uh, in this offseason. You know, most recently, Quiddy Pay has been mocked in a few different places to the Giants. So that's definitely, uh, you know, with a smoke, this fire, I would probably expect them to at least consider, you know, the an edge player there. Uh, with the signing of Kenny Galladay, it does look a little less likely that they will uh, go after wide receiver. But, I mean, if one of those, one of the blue chip passers, catchers are there, I think you could certainly see them go for it. But, uh, you know, the good thing is you got options here. You know, like you said, you, you're going to get – a 
probably the number one edge on your board, if you would so choose to go there at number 11, uh, or you're going to get an extremely talented wide receiver. So I, I feel like the Giants are in a good spot to get whatever they want. But if they're looking on that second round and you're trying to project down, like, uh, like Thor said, if you're looking to get an offensive lineman, you're going to get a pretty good crop of them that are available in that second round range where they're going to be picking, you know, early second. We could get a Sam Cosme who had a phenomenal pro day workout. He put it, what it, you know, his RAS score was sky high. Dylan Radens could be an option as well as, uh, as Tevin Jenkins. So, you know, there's uh, the Giants are in a pretty good spot, and I feel good they got some options. One of the many reasons I should not be a GM is because the temptation that you just talked about to take the flashy skill position player, if he's there, would just overwhelm me. I mean, like in our mock draft, Devonta Smith fell to 12th. I mean, you can just imagine. I don't know if you guys can envision something like that happening for the Giants, but as you said, Eric, that'd be pretty hard to pass up. Indeed, very hard to pass up. I don't know how you, like you're saying. I don't, there's a reason why these guys get the big bucks, and even though uh, you know you probably should go with a Quiddy Pay or a, a Jalen Phillips, there's that bright, bright, shiny toy that you just can't. You know, as fantasy guys, obviously the way that uh, you know we work for NBC Sports Edge, you know, we're going to win that one. All right, next up, the Cowboys also a 6-10 and 10 record last year. Obviously, the big offseason news for them. They agreed on a big contract extension to keep Dak Prescott in Dallas. They're seemingly set in terms of skilled position players here. You know, Ezekiel Elliott, Amari Cooper, C.D. Lim, Michael Gallup still around. Where do the Cowboys turn then, Thor, with the number 10 pick in the rest of their draft? Yeah, I feel like you could just replay my comments on what they needed last season, basically, because it's the same thing. You know, last heading into last draft, we just kept talking about secondary, secondary, secondary. And you guys just talked about a scenario in this division where a team could potentially askew a bigger defensive need to pick a toy. And that's obviously what happened with the Cowboys last year. They didn't anticipate C.D. Lamb was going to fall down to them. Uh, sort of kick the can on on that secondary need. Got to address it now. Uh, we can't kick the can again. Um, we definitely have to do that. I would say outside of that, you'd be moving up two levels on the defense with the other needs. Uh, we got to fix that defensive line as well. Um, and then just an, a tertiary need, I would say tight end. It's not something we have to look at uh, initially. Obviously, uh, Kyle Pitts is not going to be available to them. But, you know, day two, you know, whether it's it's Fryermuth or uh, somebody like that, there could be someone, you know, er, early day three. Um, there's some attractive possibilities there. But those are the biggest needs, I think, for the Cowboys. Thor, you said you can't kick the can, but Eric, it's pretty fun to kick the can, you got to admit. <laughs> it is pretty fun. And that's why they took C.D. Lamb last year when he, when he <laughs> fell to them in the first round, despite having, as Thor mentioned, glaring obvious needs. Uh, I can't see them not going cornerback here. I mean, it's Patrick Sertain from all the, the mocks we're looking at, is likely going to be available there. And, I mean, get him. Run to the podium. Don't walk. Run up there if you're the Dallas Cowboys to get yourself a you know a shutdown CB1. I, I don't really think that – I mean, they have to go defense, as mentioned. They're going defense. So, you know, don't overthink it. You have a glaring need, and you have a great player in Sertan. I think that's, that's pretty much as easy as it gets in terms of a call of who they're going to take. Dan Quinn's defensive scheme, from what I've seen, prioritizes not pressuring the quarterback, not tackling well, and not covering well. So <laughs> if you – a guy like Sertan, who just seems to be very, very elite, seems like the perfect guy because he's almost like scheme independent. He's just going to do his thing. It for sure is. And, and just speaking to Eric's uh, point there, where Dallas is sitting, I think at – are they at 10? Um, 10. Yeah, I mean, that's where – yeah, they're at 10. That's about where you're expecting that first – cornerback to go off the board I, I think their worst case scenario in our mock I we had Atlanta trading down with Denver and Atlanta is a team 
that it would very much be looking for cornerbacks as well. So if Atlanta ends up in that nine slot, that's probably that what Dallas is hoping for because I I could see that as absolutely the spot for Sertan. But if if they're not if Atlanta's not able to get into that slot, there is right now there seems to be a clear path of that first cornerback falling down to ten, which. I agree with Eric. It's that would be a bonanza. You, you run that card, and you can even write it before the draft. And once we get to ten, just be standing right there, you know, next to Roger, just hand it to him. <laughs> Perfect pick. <laughs> All right. Finally, the Eagles finished last in the division with a four eleven and one record. Record. Carson Wentz is gone. Doug Peterson is gone. The Eagles actually traded down to number twelve in this draft. And when you look at their depth chart, wide receiver strikes me as a glaring area of need. You've got. You know, Jalen Rager, who did nothing as a rookie, was also hurt. Travis Fulgham, who was, you know, a sensation for a minute there, but is that really sustainable? So, Thor, do you expect them to go that route early? Um, and overall, how do you assess the Eagles' needs? Yeah, thank God for uh, for Peterson tanking that that last game when everyone got upset with him because they, they got to move up like four <laughs> slots and then they got to turn that into an extra first-round pick uh, by doing the move-down thing. Um, and the move down, you know, from from six to 12, what what it signified, of course, is that they're not going to be in the quarterback derby this season. They're going to go forward with Jalen Hurts. And, and and I think they have a good strategy here. You're, you're going to surround Hurts, I would assume, with immediate help. Um, I, I think they're moving down. to You mentioned receiver. Their other big need is cornerback. Assuming that Waddle or Smith is there, uh, one or the two is going to be there, perhaps even both. I would assume that they go that direction, but they're also, you know, right around where Dallas is, you know, where we're talking about sort of that cornerback alley where, where they could start going off the board. Farley would be, you know, not a bad, or JC Horn would be not bad consolation prizes if somehow both those Alabama kids went above you. I don't really see that happening though. And as far as just the strategy, again, like, you know, say, say you can add a waddle to Jalen Hurts. You know, you give Hurts one season to try. Uh, if he fails, Philly, first of all, with their own pick is going to be probably picking top five next season. So you can get your, you know, your quarterback then. But also uh, they have San Francisco's first round pick next season. And they very, very well may have Indianapolis's, depending on if I think it's Carson Wentz has to play more than 75 percent of of snaps this season. Uh, But there's a very real possibility they could have three first round picks next year. So if, you know, again, if if the you know, you go forward with Hurts one season, you give him this one season, we're going to give you more help this season. Um, And if he doesn't work out, if he doesn't prove to be a league average starting quarterback or so or that he can get there uh, pretty quick um, I think that's when next season you just hit the reset button on, on the quarterback position you put yourself in the position because of the draft capital you've acquired to do that yeah I mean it's it's hard to argue there the the thing that's really that that has to be mentioned about Philadelphia here is last year they had the same need which is they wanted to acquire a, a big play wide receiver well they're at the number 21 pick and they had the opportunity to select Justin Jefferson at 21. They did not. They selected Jalen Rager. Justin Jefferson goes over to 22, and guess what? We won't be talking about Minnesota drafting this year. A wide receiver because they're locked in. They're good to go. So even the fact that we're talking about them selecting a wide receiver at this 12th pick after trading down is a stunning indictment on that decision in itself because it was. It, it's a very. It's a one to one. It's a binary choice. It's Jefferson or Rager there, and they simply made the wrong call. I mean, it puts them in a tough spot because if you go and you do make that that selection with the wide receiver, you kind of get Howie Roseman's got egg on his face. But at the same time, if you take, you know, Sertan's off the board and you perhaps do something where you perceive to reach uh, for either Fairley or Horn, their preference, then 
you know, you are leaving <laughs> Jalen Hurts out there without a true number one wide receiver to be able to depend on. And you're almost setting him out for failure. So, you know, you put all that together and you look at the big picture. And I think they do have to go with a wide receiver and just take the public relations hit. Because, you know, if you want Jalen Hurts to succeed, you're giving it a shot. You've traded down. You've made your call. This is a rebuilding process pretty much in Philly. you got to give him some talent to work with. One of the funniest moments from uh, last year's draft was they they showed, this is after the fact, but I, I think it was the Vikings feed put this out where uh, it was a shot of, it wasn't the war room because it, you know, it was like virtual or whatever, but like, um, I think it was the shot of Rick Spielman in his, you know, in his cave or whatever. And the moment that Ragor got taken, they just started cheering. Um, I, I don't think that Spielman <laughs> ex- expected that. Um, and it's, it's certainly what he wanted. And you go back to the one against the other. Uh, Philly just made the wrong choice. And Minnesota ended up getting a treasure chest because of that. And it's not just the the Raghor pick, of course. Uh, he can go back J-Jaw. And uh, I could keep listed names. They, they missed a few. I don't want to tick off uh, Philly fans, but uh, wide receiver has been an enormous bugaboo. How do you, how do you turn that position group around? You take a can't miss prospect at Devonta and and Waddle are are pretty dead close to that. So, I mean, you know, that's where I would go if I was them again. And then you next year, you might have three first round picks. Man, I'm the furthest thing in the world from an Eagles fan, but I felt the pain when you were just talking. It it hit me that the pain is palpable of missing out on Jefferson there. And it feels like the Jalen Hurts, Justin Jefferson pairing would work really well too. Sure would. Yeah, it sure, it sure would. It, when, when you go back to uh, to Hurts in, in college, I mean, starting at Alabama, when initially at Alabama, like his first couple of years of his career, his accuracy was just terrible, you know, and, and winging it down the field was a real problem. But what he got real good at at the end there at Alabama, and then when he went to Oklahoma, what you saw was the intermediate accuracy, you know, and especially off the RPO game and just sticking his foot in the ground and nailing someone right on the hands, you know, as they're streaking across the middle. Justin Jefferson at the intermediate area just absolutely destroys people. So, yeah, that, I mean, you know, that would have been an absolutely perfect pairing but uh we're sorry eagles fans for for talking about this want to make mom's day get to your nordstrom rack now and score amazing deals for mother's day which is sunday may 12th find tons of gifts from only 30 dollars at nordstrom rack fragrance jewelry luxury bags activewear beauty and more save on kate spade new york Stuart weitzman and ted baker london great brands great prices So shop your Nordstrom Rack store today and treat mom to the good stuff from just $30. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Just a quick reminder that our premium product product subscriptions at NBC Sports Edge cover all sports. So right now you can still get access to NBA, NHL, and MLB premium products for 10% off any subscription. Enter the promo code GOOD10. GOOD10 for 10% off. All right, guys, we will shift the conversation now to the de- fully to the defensive side of the ball. Eric, you wrote up your top five interior defensive linemen rankings on NBC Sports Edge. Uh, tops on that list, Eric, is Alabama's Christian Barmore, recorded eight sacks for the Crimson Tide in 11 games in 2020. Eric, we've heard Thor rave about this guy as a prospect. Now it's your turn. What stands out? Well, in a, a class, this ideal class is pretty light compared to 
previous years. And I mean that literally and figuratively because it seems to be sort of a, a three-tech heavy group that we're dealing with this year. Uh, with Barmore, he, you know, it's an interesting path that he's taken. You know, not every single guy that you're going to come across that is a blue chip draft recruit is going to be a five-star recruit out of high school. Uh, and that's the case with Bar- Barmore. He was, through his first three seasons, he was a, a fairly uh, nondescript three-star recruit that had received uh, scholarships from Temple, Morgan State, and Buffalo heading into his se- senior year. Not exactly an illustrious who's who of Power 5 stalwarts there, but his senior year is where he really broke out. And at Allentown, Pennsylvania, where he's from, uh, just took that entire league by storm. And by the time October rolled around, Alabama, LSU, Georgia, Ohio State, all were on board to try to bring Barmore in the fold with obviously uh, Nick Saban bringing him into the fold. So he gets in there, obviously, right out of the gate. He blows away his three-star status. Very effective in his first sort of go-around uh, as a part-timer. Uh, but then once he started, you know, kind of came into his own, 2020 was his first year as a real starter because Alabama's loaded. Started off a little slow. You know, his first half of 2020, people don't realize – it wasn't a, you know, right out of the gate, he's dominating everybody and, you know, just, you know, hellfire and brimstone, get out of his way. Had some, you know, had some flashes, had some big moments, but at the same time, you know, there wasn't a lot of pop coming. It's that last stretch run, these last six games that he had of Alabama's national championship run where he was just absolutely hit another level that no IDL in this class has hit. And nobody is really probably capable of even doing so. Uh, you know, he had a 19.5% pass rush win rate, according to PFF, which for an interior lineman that's, that are getting double teamed all the time, that's, that's absolutely astronomical. As far as, you know, pressure, bringing heat, nobody was better than Barmore over the past two seasons. Led the FBS with 65 IDL pressures over the last two years. And that's including 39 in 2020. So, I mean, you goes, goes to show just how explosive he was in 2020. Uh, finished, as I mentioned, with those last six games, extremely strong. 25 pressures and six sacks in his last six games. So, you know, he breaks out a, a really nice club rip when it comes to his pass rush. Uh, he also has a, just a staggering bull rush that he can, uh, you know, get back and, and sort of reach into if he needs to. So uh, I feel like Barmore is the clear number one. I don't think it's particularly close. And um, I think he probably ends up because he doesn't have the super heavyweight size since he can play zero tech all the way up to three tech, even five, if he needs to, I feel like he'll probably be in the later half of the first round uh, simply because that's, you know, the, the world we're living in right now. <laughs> Yeah, in, in in terms of you look for prototypical three techniques. Uh, uh, Eric's talking you know, like he he said there there's not many in this class that are sort of upper tier uh, prospects. Barmore's the best we got, and with him, what I think about is it's a perfect frame and the the perfect blend of athleticism to go with it. I think he he was close to a nine uh, RAS score in six five three ten or so. He's flexible. Bendy kid moves well, explosive, etc. Um, before this season, he was working in in the rotation, as, as Eric mentioned. I think he has less than 800 career snaps. This is the first year where he played sort of the full time snaps. the The concern with him is the consistency. Um, we saw some of the flashes in his part time work, and obviously he didn't have the, the full body to do more than that. This season, when he was playing more snaps, 
Uh, there was games during the regular season where he just wasn't factoring in whatsoever into the action where he would disappear for extremely long stretches. And then as Eric mentioned, um, it, it's sort of a, the progression sort of reminds me of, uh, you know, during LSU's championship run, another Ballyhood prospect who had taken a while, defensive prospect who had taken a while to get there, Kaylee Von Chason, down the stretch there, the last three, four or five games, um, and then certainly in the college football playoff, he just absolutely took off and then just started dominating. Um, and that's what we saw with Barmore. I think he had eight pressures o- over those two games, eight or nine pressures, something like that, and a couple sacks. That's where we saw his talent start to coalesce. Um, certainly in, in terms of ceiling, he's the highest ceiling interior prospect. We just need to see more consistency in the NFL. Absolutely. And another thing with Barmore, too, is in 2019, when he was working through that rotation, he had some pretty good games along the way, though kind of in a more of a pass rush specialist role. But the last game of the season in 2019 against Michigan in the bowl game, you saw offensive tackle for Michigan, Jalen Mayfield, do a great job against Barmore in that last game. And, you know, he handled them. You see a few of the uh, I actually put it in my column where you see a couple of snaps. And Mayfield's length was just too much. You know, he's squaring him up. Barmore got absolutely handled. And it goes to show that he came out in 2020, and you know that lit a fire under him because he was almost—he was a different player. He was just another level. Where getting, you know, his lunch taken that last game of 2020, leaving that bad taste in his mouth, was probably actually a good thing for him since he went and just had to work that much harder after having it pretty easy for the first two years on campus. All right, Eric, second on your list is Levi Anzarike of Washington. He opted out of his senior season in 2020. What puts him this high in your rankings? Yeah, with with Anzarike, the thing that really stands out to me, he's a great athlete. He's an excellent athlete. I mean, he's 293 pounds, but he can move. Like, he's not he's not heavy. He's filled out perfectly. as He's got a great first step. Nice contact balance. He explode through, you know, getting hit. Plays much stronger than his 293. Plays excellent leverage. You know, he's quick, violent hands. And he has an attacking mentality. He's very aggressive off the snap. I, I love seeing that. I mean, plus, in terms of physical gifts, he has 33-inch arms, which was extremely helpful if you look at when he's, uh, you know, locking out against offensive linemen and then shedding them. I mean, invaluable especially for a guy that's in the middle. You have to have that 29 bench reps uh, at his pro day shows that he has that strength. And frankly, you know, he logged a lot of snaps at nose tackle, uh, which, you know, at 293 pounds, it's, he's quick, you know, he's got the speed to be able to leverage, uh, you know, his frame, but he's not ideally suited for that. He's going to be, you know, pretty much standard three tech. And I think he's going to be a real issue crashing off, the edge from that three tech, you know, crashing gaps and being a problem in both the run and the pass game. Now, in terms of his pass rush, he plays high at times. You know, he's, he's on the taller side and you're going to see that that that's going to happen uh, when you're a little bit longer. But, uh, you know, if he can kind of learn to get a little, get the pad length, pad uh, you know level a little lower, I, I think he could really excel uh, at three tech spot. Yeah. And, it, you know, and his sort of defense uh he was played a little bit out of position at washington where they wanted him to play nose tackle you know it, it's sort of similar to a few years ago with at oliver at uh, houston when 
Levi, he got to play for better coaches, but uh, Ed Oliver was, he was played for uh, my friend, Major Applewhite, and they, they did him an enormous disservice in a, in a three, three, five, three, four kind of hybrid system where basically they, they were only rushing three guys and Ed Oliver was, was the nose guard. And he was having to take on double teams to get to the quarterback or to get to the running back every single time. Um, and that was a similar case here where it was a guy who's clearly a natural three technique that played a lot of his career over center um, and had to take on a lot of double teams. And he proved at the senior bowl uh, as a work he did that that he is not a dose tackle because he was getting washed out by all forms of double teams. But again, going back to what Froton's talking about, his game is not being that boulder sand in the pants guy in the middle. You know, that's that's not what he is. He's an explosive guy coming forward that's going to knife through gaps. That's what you want him doing. You want him at three technique. Um, I think he's going to be a better NFL player uh, than he was in college. And it's just sort of unfortunate. He, he was a 2020 opt out. So we didn't get to see him last year. But I'm guessing his game would have leveled up uh, last season if we had. Yeah, I, I think so as well. And as you mentioned, too, about his athleticism, he had a 9.16 uh, RAS score, which is obviously when you're dealing with since 1987, I believe, they've taken all the scores from. He's in the 91st percentile of all three techs that were tested during that time frame. So you're talking about a legitimate gifted athlete that I think, as Thor mentioned, you know, he's got he's got all the tools. I, I feel like if he can just keep his motor running put together full, complete games, which he hasn't been that great at. And we didn't get to see him do it in 2020, as you mentioned. You know, so there's still, there's definitely still things that he needs to improve on. He needs refinement in some of his game. But, you know, I feel like the bones are there. Quickly, guys, before we move on to third on the list, based on our mock draft and some other mock drafts I was checking out recently, it looks like Barmore is really the only guy who has a, a shot to go in the first round out of this group. Is that correct? Certainly. It would be a surprise if he wasn't. Yep. All right. So with that said, third on our list of five today is Davion Nixon out of Iowa. 13 and a half tackles for loss, five and a half sacks for Iowa in eight games in 2020. Eric, you wrote about how Nixon got off to a monster start in 2020, but then had some stretches of inconsistency. How much of a factor is that for you in evaluating this guy? Yeah, well, it's funny. He was almost the opposite of Barmore, where Barmore started out a little bit slow, uh, had to get his you know, feet and his timing together. But once he did, he, he was unstoppable. With Nixon, he he lit up Purdue and Northwestern in the first two games of the season. I mean, absolutely dominated him. And it really served as sort of his coming out party because when he, he went and tore those two teams apart the first two games, people were coming out and saying, all right, what is happening here? Who is this guy? <laughs> he put up four sacks and 10 pressures in the first two games of 2020 from you know the nose tackle spot, what's going on? So, you know, the, the funny thing was after he had that big breakout, he kind of you know pulled back a little bit. Um, you know, in a telling stat, he had he has eight sacks over the past two years. Five of those sacks came against Northwestern. Three of those sacks came against everybody else. So one, I don't know what it is with their feeding Northwestern over there, but you know, perhaps their line needs a little a little sprucing up because Davion Nixon just ate him for lunch. So, you know, that's certainly something to, to the inconsistency factor is definitely something that I am concerned with Nixon. That being said, uh, in terms of the traits he has, he's extremely nimble. I mean, he's a former basketball player, loves the game. And I'm all, as a basketball player myself, I'm, I'm really partial to these, the big men who have that hoops background, who have, who always have great feet and are nimble and quick you know, and, and move laterally. They can do all those things. I mean, Nixon can still dunk. 
310 pounds. He's still dunking a basketball now. So that tells you a little bit. But he, um, I watched an interview with him, and he says he kind of uh, molds his pass rush approach kind of like a, he likes to throw in a little Euro step to what he's doing to kind of keep uh, opposing linemen off balance because he's coming out from different angles. He's using a, a different cadence you know, and gait than different guys are. And it was really, really effective for him. He's a great finesse rusher. You know, he doesn't have the upper body strength, like the, the powerful torso, really to, uh, you know, to shed and, and to be, you know, stack blocks as well as you'd like him to. But in terms of shooting gaps, uh, in terms of, you know, knifing in from the three tech, in terms of just having just great nimble footwork where he wants to maneuver around blockers as opposed to going through them. He, he's much more of a tactician. Uh, he, he's just a pleasure to watch. Just so, so nimble, so quick. He could be more physical at the point of attack. I mean, that's that's the big thing for me when I watch Nixon in terms of this rush acumen, you know, how he guides against the rush is just simply he's not as explosive and as physical when it comes to uh, meeting uh, opposing linemen at the point of attack. So that's my real my real knock on Nixon. I love what he does as a pass rusher. I love his you know, his finesse. Uh, he's great in terms of turning uh, linemen by attacking, you know, good, solid technique. 8.40 RAS, as we mentioned. So, you know, the athleticism shows up in his workouts. And, uh, and I'm pretty bullish on Mr. Nixon as being successful, as I know I'm sure Thor probably is because he's an Iowa guy. Yeah, that's right. Well, Thor, Thor, we often talk about uh, wide receivers like crossing people over using basketball skills. I, I think the Euro step on the interior defensive line is a new one for me, though. <laughs> yeah, yeah, indeed. Yeah, uh, good footwork. He's a good athlete. Uh, and when you see, you know, I obviously, I as as Eric mentioned, I'm an Iowa grad. I watch every Iowa game live. One thing I'll say in in Nixon's defense is, yes, he did have you know the bulk of his his sort of sack you know production in that, in that one game, but it was weird because it was like. I see Nixon consistently disrupt and, you know, not get there. Sort of like uh, the Notre Dame kid from like two, three class ago that like his, you know, in terms of disruption, it was almost every play he was winning the rep, um, but didn't always get to the quarterback. And then in the Northwestern game uh, for Davion Nixon, everything went his way. Where It was like, you know, a bunch of bad luck just turned for him. And, and, you know, every single time he was back there, the quarterback was in his arms. Um, But when he's on, he has sort of a berserker style of play. You know, he sort of uses his arms like clubs and he's like, he, he is not a guy that you would want to face as an interior offensive lineman. Um, and he moves so well, it, you know, it's, it's both the athletic fluidity, but also the footwork that we've been talking about. Um, and then when those times when he is off, what you see is, is that line linemen are getting into his frame too easily. Um, that's probably a, a hand usage thing, you know, like, Let's stop using your arms as, as weapons so much and maybe try to use the, the 10 appendages, you know, connected to the end of them and, and try to control the offensive lineman a little bit more. I think there's refinement in Davion Nixon's game coming where these brief flashes that we, we have seen where those are going to start to become more consistent and it's going to start to coalesce into um, what I think is going to be a long time uh, above average starter in the NFL. Thor, you mentioned Nixon's berserker style, using his arms like clubs. For better or for worse, I started picturing the scene in uh, Talladega Nights where Ricky Bobby started windmilling around <laughs> in circles. <laughs> probably not probably not the right visual, but that's what came to mind. If you're not first, you're last. <laughs> okay. Eric, fourth in your top five is Tommy Togiai out of Ohio State. Well, what are his strength and strengths and weaknesses as a prospect? Well, as a, his strength, I'd say his number one strength would probably be that he is – 
a, uh, a run stopper and a half, just so strong, thick. He put up 40 bench reps, which is an ungodly number. Extremely tough in run support. He's, uh, you know, he's stout. He's got a thick frame. He's not exceptionally tall. He was 6'2", 300 pounds. But, you know, his lower, his lower half, it just, he drives, drives so much power from it that uh, it's almost impossible to, move, impossible to move him off his spot once he's got his base established. You know, I'm, I really, really like what he does there. He had an 87.8 run defense grade, which is the 10th highest mark in the country for 2020. But, um, you know, what I think is a little underrated about his game is he's a better – he's a more disruptive pass rusher, I think, than he's given credit for. And uh, let me sort of use Davion Nixon as the example here. So last year, Davion Nixon had in 256 – pass rush snaps he recorded 21 qb pressures in 256 snaps now togi created 24 pressures three more pressures but in only 189 passing snaps so he you know 67 less passing snaps you got three more pressures than a guy in davion nixon that is a very accomplished uh, penetrator when it comes to you know rushing the passer and has a pretty good tact so while Togiai doesn't have the tool chest to be able to reach into, that obviously a Barrymore on Mazurki, you know, some of these guys that are more polished pass rushers, he's not going to be able to reach in and, and have the breadth of moves. But what he does have is supernatural strength to be able to push and to be able to, you know, bull rush the heck out of just about anybody who's in front of him and then use that leverage to be able to, you know, give a, give a little bit of a push pull. He'll throw it every once in a while and, and a club uh, rip. So uh, I feel like Togiai is he's more of a complete IDL and I think he's kind of getting credit for. And that's why I, you know, he's probably the best run defender in the class. That counts for something. And then the fact that I think he can get better and he has the aptitude to be more effective in the pass rush is why I have him at four. Yeah, he's a strong kid. In terms of size, it, he's similar to a lot of these guys. He might have even weighed in a little bit less than 300 pounds at his at his pro day, but plays at least much, you know, much stronger than he is, plays bigger than he is, because he is extremely difficult to move. And, you know, I was talking about sort of the the violent manner in which Nixon plays when, when he's on. Um, that's always what you see from Tagai. It's it's a strength, violence, I'm coming for you kind of a thing. Um, and I like the point that Froton made in terms of his pass rush sets. It's it's all it's like a pitcher in baseball that can throw 100 miles an hour, and then you know, and that's his strength, his bull rush, um, because he can he can push. I mean, at least in college in the Big Ten, he could push back any interior offensive lineman that he wanted. In the NFL, it, that's going to become a little bit harder because the anchors drop heavier. But Froton's point is well taken that not only is the guy you know sort of nimble on tape and he moves well. Um, but he proved the concept of his athleticism that I, I think he's an underrated athlete at Ohio State's Pro Day. He tested above an eight as a Raz. And and you see that, you know, he he moves better than than you would expect for a player of his type. So he's a guy, obviously, you can play inside. He's going to be very hard to move against the run, very stout in that area. And then he might be able to provide more as a pass rusher um, than you currently think. And I, I think that's going to have to come off of counters from that bull rush. Because, again, it's sort of like, you know, getting the the hitter, you know, they're, they're waiting on the 101 mile per hour heat what's the best thing is is to develop a change up you know a 70 mile per hour change up or whatever that's where you can start to really hurt in, in this case offensive linemen who are sitting
getting dead right on the power. Once he's leaning into you, he can do spin moves, you know, in, in clubs, you know, rips, you know, whatever. Uh, get out of there and shed um, and get after the quarterback. His his pass rushing acumen, I think, is going to go up a little bit. The dude who goes from 101 to 70 on his fastball changeup can close for my team. That's for sure. That's a, that's a sick... <laughs> I'm not a baseball analyst. I, I'm trying. You know, we try to move like... <laughs> go ahead. Um, go ahead with, uh, and it's important to remember, too, with Togia, he's very experienced. He's only had, logged 659 snaps in his entire collegiate career. So it's not like he's a finished product who we've seen log 2,000 snaps and, and there's not a lot of room for growth. You know, I sincerely believe that there's room for him to get better. I mean, he's still very raw and the fact that he's even been in as advanced as he is you know in the rush game considering how little he's played is i feel like you know something that's uh you know mark in his favor all right rounding out your top five eric is aleem mcneil from nc state you talked a couple minutes ago about how much you like guys who have backgrounds in other sports this guy was a high school baseball player you also wrote that he was a 280 pound linebacker and running back in high school which must have been absolutely terrifying for the defenses who had to face him in high school. What puts McNeil in your top five, Eric? Gosh, would, can you imagine dealing with him like that? Oh my god! No, thank you. <laughs> you're just like a you're just like a hundred and seventy pound like high school <laughs> linebacker. Like I'm not tackling that guy. I'm sorry. He's just bowling on through at 280 pounds. My gosh! But yeah, it, it goes. It speaks to his athleticism that uh, that McNeil could play. You know hit 355 as a senior in baseball. The guy's 280 pounds. Okay, if you think Aaron Judge is big out there, you know, for the Yankees in right field, <laughs> well, let's get Aileen McNeil out there and see what he looks like. My gosh. Um, but a uh, very talented, obviously, athlete all around. Uh, in terms of his athleticism, I mean, it's there. He had an 8.80 RAS score. You know, typically these guys who play in different sports, you know, it it's, it's a – Big boom. These guys are incredible athletes, you know. So um, the thing I love about McNeil is he was a part-timer in 2018, played a lot of three-tech before in 2019, adding you know, 40 pounds over the course of from when he graduated high school to, to when he was asked to play nose tackle. So he switched over to did play pretty much zero and one tech uh, for his last two years. And even in 2019, when he switched over, he still had five and a half sacks in 2019 coming from an interior position, you know, that's something that in 2020 he was asked to kind of play a different role and uh, eat more blocks. Essentially he's taken on a lot of double teams for something he didn't do that great with in 2019, got much better at it in 2020, you know, it was really opening up lanes for linebackers and other players to kind of come in, occupy those blockers and they'd make the play. So even though he didn't have the kind of sack production he did in 2019, he was playing a different role in the defense and what he was doing is just simply occupying and you know dominating he, you can't move him backwards you know and Dave Dorn head coach of North Carolina State figure that out they just you, you're not gonna you're not gonna move him off his spot so very effective in terms of strength functional strength uh, one of the few IDLs in this class as we mentioned you know where it's three tech heavy that can handle early down uh, zero tech to one tech work and the fact that you know, he's not a great pass rusher, but he's so naturally strong. He, he can still disrupt, uh, but he's fully formed in terms of a run defender. You know, similar to Togiai in that sense, except I see Alan McNeil playing that zero to one tech a lot more than Togiai uh, at the second level. Yeah, I think uh, 
you know, I, I don't know how many five, six years ago when uh, Javon Hargrave came out and he had a bunch of fans on on draft Twitter. I, I feel like the same group is going to be on McNeil uh, this year. It's the same kind of thing. You know, it's it, it's a shorter, skinnier type uh, interior guy who is just super explosive off of the snap. Um, and can get through gaps real quick and, and get into the backfield. You're looking for that kind of guy. I, I think Ali McNeil is, is one of the top guys uh, that you're looking at. And, you know, a, a guy that you can get on on day two in this draft. And who knows, maybe even the top of day three, depending on the way things shake out. But that is going to provide immediate help for your pass rush. All right. That brings us to the end of the top five. Make sure you check out Eric's IDL rankings on NBC Sports Edge. I called it a top five, Eric. I was trying to check. Did you go beyond five? No, we got five. We're good. No, but I mean, no, but I mean, on, on the write up. Oh yeah, I went through fifteen. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, I, I wanted to say <laughs> there's more. To... There's more there, and, and a lot of details on all of these guys. Embedded video, great stuff in there. So check that out on NBC Sports Edge, guys. Anything else to promote before we get out of here? I, I know Eric today is dropping his edge rankings. Tomorrow I'm dropping my linebacker rankings. And then next week I have my cornerback rankings coming. And pretty soon I'm going to have my 500-player big board coming out with 500 comps. So uh, come visit us at NBC Sports Edge. All right. You can follow these guys on Twitter, at Thorku, at, and this is the most important thing I'm going to ask all day. Do we say CFF Roton or CF? Froton, because it's CF, you know, you know what I'm talking about, Eric. CF Froton. CF Froton. At Thorku, at CF Froton. Thor, Eric, thanks, guys. Thanks to all of you for listening. We will talk to you soon. Want to make mom's day? Get to your Nordstrom Rack now and score amazing deals for Mother's Day, which is Sunday, May 12th. Find tons of gifts from only $30 at Nordstrom Rack. Fragrance, jewelry, luxury bags, activewear, beauty, and more. Save on Kate Spade, New York, Stuart Weitzman, and Ted Baker, London. Great brands, great prices. So shop your Nordstrom Rack store today and treat mom to the good stuff from just $30. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand.